Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Tuesday, May 11th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, it's new chip day. Intel unveils its 11th gen Core Tiger Lake H10 nanometer chips, while NVIDIA unveils the RTX 3050 and 3050 Ti laptop GPUs. So expect a whole bunch of laptop lines to be refreshed soon. And oh, look at that. The Dell XPS lineup already has been. Also, details on the next-gen PlayStation VR hardware and an argument that Apple's recent privacy moves are a naked and ugly power play that could harm the open web. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. I guess it's big chip news day once again, because first of all, Intel has unveiled its 11th-gen Core Tiger Lake H. 10 nanometer mobile processors for high performance desktop and gaming with five consumer chips and five commercial ones, quoting Anantech. While users might be accustomed to seeing a wide array of Intel processors, each differing by the smallest of margins, today's launch has only five models for consumers and another five for commercial systems. At the heart are Intel's latest Willow Cove processor cores with 1.25 megabytes of exclusive L2 cache and up to 3 megabytes of shared L3 cache per core, along with Intel's latest GLP graphics. These all start at 6 cores and 12 threads and offer up to 5 gigahertz single-core turbo for the most expensive models. The most premium model is the Core i9-11980HK, which looks more akin to a desktop processor. Intel has the 8-core part rated at 2.6 gigahertz for 45 watts, but also lists a base frequency of 3.3 gigahertz for 65 watts. What makes this processor special compared to the others is that it can also be overclocked further than 65 watts in systems that allow it. Overclocking on laptops is usually a bit hit and miss, but this is actually the first ever overclockable 10 nanometer processor from Intel. That accolade typically goes to the desktop platform, but this is the first time in recent memory I've seen Intel launch an overclockable mobile processor first. The Core i9-11980HK gets the best of Intel's design here, 4.5 GHz all-core turbo, 4.9 GHz traditional turbo, and 5 GHz with Turbo Boost Max 3.0 on up to two favored cores. The integrated graphics is the based GLP architecture with 32 execution units running at 1450 megahertz peak. All processors listed have 32 execution units with a 350 megahertz base and variable peak frequencies. The other processors here follow Intel's traditional non-overclocked schema whereby 45 watts is the standard rating and 35 watts is the power down option. The Core i9-11900H, for example, has Turbo Boost Max 3.0 on two cores up to 4.9 GHz, like the other Core i9, and TBM 3.0 is the main difference down to Core i7, which is also 8-core and 16-thread." End quote. And NVIDIA has unveiled the RTX 3050 and 3050 Ti laptop GPUs, which bring ray tracing and AI features to affordable laptops for 1080p gaming, starting at only $799, quoting Engadget. While they're not nearly as powerful as NVIDIA's beefier GPUs, the RTX 3050 and 3050 Ti will offer some serious upgrades for gamers on a budget. And for once, it means they won't have to settle for NVIDIA's aging Turing laptop GPUs like the GTX 1650 Ti. In Call of Duty Warzone, NVIDIA claims the RTX 3050 Ti can reach over 80 frames per second, 
in 1080p with medium graphics settings and upwards of 95 frames per second when you flip on DLSS. That technology renders a game at a lower resolution and then uses AI to upscale what you're seeing, delivering higher frame rates in the process. In comparison, the GTX 1650 Ti reached around 55 frames per second in Warzone. The new GPU can also reach upwards of 70 frames per second in Outriders, whereas the 1650 Ti couldn't even crack 40 frames per second in 1080p. Of course, the raw power upgrade is to be expected. What makes the RTX 3050 and 3050 Ti intriguing is their support for RTX ray tracing, which can deliver realistic lighting effects in modern games. NVIDIA claims you'll be able to play Control in 1080p with medium graphics and ray tracing settings, along with DLSS above 60 frames per second. That game has been my ray tracing stress test for the past few years, and I'd be truly impressed if NVIDIA is able to make it playable with ray tracing on systems below a thousand bucks. Under the hood, the RTX 3050 and 3050 Ti feature 2048 and 2560 CUDA cores, respectively. That's well below the 3840 CUDA cores on the RTX 3060, but they should still be powerful enough for gamers focused on 1080p performance. It's also worth noting that NVIDIA is only sharing RTX 3050 Ti benchmarks at the moment. I'd be interested to see if the 3050, which also has fewer... Tensor AI and RT cores will actually perform with ray-traced games. Both GPUs also come with 4 gigabytes of GDDR6 RAM and a 128-bit memory interface, specs that'll limit their performance mainly to 1080p gaming. These are also Max-Q GPUs, which means their performance can be optimized to squeeze into thin laptops. There's no word of an RTX 3050 desktop GPU yet, end quote. So given all of that, right on cue, Dell has upgraded the XPS 15 and XPS 17 laptops to feature both these new Intel 11th Gen H-series processors and these new NVIDIA RTX 30-series GPUs starting at $1,200 and $1,400, respectively. Quoting The Verge, The new models are virtually the same on the outside as the more substantial 2020 refresh, which saw the reintroduction of the largest 17-inch size and a redesign for the 15-inch model to better match Dell's popular XPS 13 design. But both laptops now offer improved specs, featuring Intel's 11th Gen Tiger Lake H-series chips, bringing the company's 10 nanometer process to Dell's more powerful laptops. Both the XPS 15 and 17 can now be configured with the 6-core i5-11400H or 8-core i7-11800H and i9-11900H options. The XPS 17 also adds an additional i9-11980HK option, offering 8 cores and a maximum 5 gigahertz clock speed for what Dell says is the most powerful XPS laptop ever. There's also new, more powerful GPU options. The XPS 15 can now be configured with either NVIDIA's RTX 3050 or RTX 3050 Ti with 45 watts of power, while the XPS 17 offers a beefier 60-watt RTX 3050 or 70-watt RTX 3060 GPU. Both computers can be configured with up to 64 gigabytes of RAM, with options for either 4K, 
3840 by 2400 or FHD 1920 by 1200 panels, although the XPS 15 also has 3456 by 2160 OLED as an option. Ports have also been upgraded. The XPS 17 now has four Thunderbolt 4 ports, while the XPS 15 offers two Thunderbolt 4 ports and a regular USB 3.2 Gen 2 Type-C port, end quote. As mentioned, these will price at $1,200 and $1,400, respectively, for the base models, though no word, oddly, on availability right now. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their air-knit underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak Polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. In 2023, just 10 vulnerabilities accounted for over half of the incidents responded to by our sponsors today, Arctic Wolf Incident Response. Wouldn't you love to know how to take these vulnerabilities off the table and make life more difficult for cybercriminals? That's just one of the essential insights you'll find inside the Arctic Wolf Labs 2024 Threats Report. Authored by their elite team of security researchers, data scientists, and security development engineers, and backed by the data gained from trillions of weekly observations within thousands of unique environments, this report offers expert analysis into attack types, root causes, top vulnerabilities, TTPs, and more. Discover the attack vectors behind nearly half of all successful cybercrimes, why ransom demands climbed 20% from 2023, and find out why 2024 will be an especially volatile year for cybersecurity. Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. That's arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. Well, we might as well just make this a hardware day then, I guess. Sources are telling Upload VR that Sony's next-gen VR headset for the PlayStation 5 will have improved resolution of 2000 by 2040 per eye, inside-out tracking, foveated rendering, and more. Quote, Sony previously confirmed it is developing a next-generation wired VR headset for PS5 to release sometime after 2021 and revealed the controllers for the upcoming device with analog sticks and finger position sensing, plus resistive triggers that can push back at your fingers when pressed, as seen in the PS5's own DualSense controller. The resolution of the upcoming Sony headset is slightly less than the HP Reverb G2, the current market leader in consumer VR headset resolution, and slightly more than the Oculus Quest 2. The resolution should amount to roughly 8.16 million total pixels, 
The new VR headset will use a USB Type-C connection between the console and the headset. The PlayStation 5 does feature a single USB-C port on the front of the device. The new Sony headset will use its onboard cameras to track the position of the new controllers, thereby simplifying setup dramatically compared to the current generation and unlocking more movement freedom for the player. A motor in the headset can be used by developers to give direct haptic feedback. Though this part is speculation, it is possible that with the planned inclusion of foveated rendering, the perceived sharpness provided by the upcoming Sony headset might be much improved compared to current systems by way of super sampling the area of focus. Eye tracking can also dramatically change the sense of social connection made between avatars in VR. Generally speaking, the technology allows for subtler expression translating to a more profound sense of actually being together with another person in a virtual world. Eye tracking could also be employed for other uses such as much better throwing mechanics that take into account what a player is looking at when they release a virtual object, end quote. Something real quick to take note of, though I do want to take a moment to pause and acknowledge the underlying tragedy here. But sources are telling Reuters that Foxconn's iPhone output in India has dropped by more than 50% because of COVID-19 infections among workers. Quote, The Foxconn facility in the southern state of Tamil Nadu produces iPhones specifically for India, the world's number two smartphone market. Tamil Nadu is one of the worst hit states in the second coronavirus wave engulfing India. Officials imposed a full lockdown in the state from Monday, closing public transport and shuttering shops to try to slow surging infections. More than 100 Foxconn employees in the state have tested positive for COVID-19, and the company has enforced a no-entry ban at its factory in the capital of Chennai until late May, one of the sources said. Quote, employees are only allowed to leave but not enter the facility since yesterday, the person said. Only a small part of output is being kept, end quote. More than 50% of the plant's capacity had been cut, both sources said, declining to be named as they were not authorized to speak to the media. They did not specify the plant's capacity, and it was unclear how many workers were at the facility, which provides dormitory accommodations for employees as well. Foxconn's shares fell as much as 6.2% after the Reuters report. The stock closed down 5.31%, outpacing a 3.8% fall in the broader market, end quote. And finally today, I'm going to quote extensively from an essay that is beginning a lot of chatter overnight rather than save it for Friday and the long reads. The piece in question is from Mobile Dev Memo, and the gist is basically this. They say that Apple's new app transparency tracking privacy policy is a commercial land grab dressed up as a moral crusade, and it will ultimately subvert the open web and the freemium business model. I don't think it's a coincidence that people started talking about this piece around the same time yesterday that it was announced that Apple had hired Antonio Garcia Martinez, who a lot of you know from Twitter, but is maybe best known because he was a key figure of Facebook's ad product team between 2011 and 2013. In other words, people are connecting the dots here in terms of Apple's broader ad business ambitions. Again, let me just quote quite liberally from this, and you can connect the dots yourself. Quote, With ATT, Apple has robbed the mob's bank. 
sort of as in The Dark Knight. In bolstering its ads business while severely handicapping other advertising platforms, but especially Facebook, with the introduction of a privacy policy that effectively breaks the mechanic that those platforms use to target ads, Apple has taken money from a party that is so unsympathetic that it can't appeal to a greater authority for redress. Apple has brazenly, in broad daylight, stormed into the bank of Facebook, looted its most precious resource, and, camouflaged under the noble cause of giving privacy controls to the consumer, fled the scene. And Facebook is left with little recourse. The company attempted to sway consumer sentiment to its side through an enormously wide-reaching PR campaign, but its efforts there were hobbled by the narrow messaging that was available to it. Facebook couldn't explain in detail why, ATT will harm consumers because, in doing so, it would need to reveal just how it personalizes ads through observing conversations on third-party websites and apps. So Facebook was restricted to a fairly weak PR strategy, which was to highlight that small businesses would be harmed by ATT. This is true, of course, but it doesn't invigorate a deep well of compassion from consumers. Does anyone want to acknowledge that their local florist or butcher is personalizing ads to them? Meanwhile, Apple simply had to mention privacy whenever objections to ATT were raised, and mainstream media outlets rushed to defend it. As I outline in my Content Fortress thesis, when only first-party data is permissible for use in advertising targeting, then the largest consumer tech companies will simply grow their first-party data sets. Apple is claiming that the entirety of the App Store exists in its first-party data environment, and so every interaction that takes place in any app is fodder for its ads optimization algorithm. But under those conditions, the exact quality and quantity of consumer data continues to be harvested and utilized for ads targeting under ATT, as was utilized before ATT. Nothing has changed with ATT. A big tech company continues to monitor app usage and monetization for the purposes of targeting ads, except that with ATT, the company is Apple, instead of Facebook. To a true privacy zealot, someone for whom any ads targeting is an ethical disaster, would this new privacy configuration of first party is good, third party is bad, be acceptable? ATT doesn't provide real consumer choice, and Apple has clearly privileged its own ad network with this new privacy policy in very obvious ways. And Apple has engineered all of this while being cheered on by parties that ape Apple's commercial slogan regarding the righteousness of first-party data for ads targeting. Case studies will be written in decades to come about Apple's astute attack on Facebook via an esoteric advertising identifier. If anything is clear from the protracted rollout of ATT, it is that Apple's PR department deserves a pay raise, end quote. As I sometimes say, this is one of those times when I don't have an opinion on this either way, but this has been what folks have been arguing about in the Twitterverse and Substackverse for the last 24 hours. So there you go. Small little personal plug today, my friend, the cartoonist Matthew Bogart, does this comic series called Incredible Doom. It's set in the 1990s, follows a bunch of kids making life-or-death choices on the early internet. It's right up my alley in terms of hitting some of our sweet spots, you know, like comics, 90s nostalgia, dial-up internet era nostalgia. Anyway, 
The full volume one collection of Incredible Doom is now available, so join me in picking up a copy. You can read more about Incredible Doom, including extensive videos of the book and the comics, so you can get a look at them before you buy a copy at IncredibleDoom.com. I'll have a link at the very bottom of today's show notes. IncredibleDoom.com. Check it out.